0: most of the time on this channel we talk directly about the stories of new century but sometimes we open the window less traveled and see where it takes us welcome to century tales Dear listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of Through the Wind Door, which we have gone on the record as calling Century Tales. Uh, this is a little bit of a different thing that we're trying out here at Through the Wind Door, Inc., where instead of specifically discussing a book or other significant entry of the New Century, we're going to be discussing different aspects of what New Century brings to the table, Exploring it from different angles, which is part of the reason why we picked the name that we did, it's not about what Alex specifically has written, but our musings and thoughts on directions it can go, details that it brings up, themes and the like. There were several ideas for shows that I posited way back when, but the first attempt that I tried to record ended up not really working to get a solid enough conversation going at least not with the outline that I'd come up with. I therefore put Century Tales on the shelf till a new topic presented itself. What I finally settled on was a topic that I knew me and my co-host would really dig our teeth into if we were discussing it ourselves, since the entire impetus behind Century Tales is the fact that we have far-spanning conversations practically every other day, depending on what's recently got a bug in our ear from whatever we've been reading, working on, or just watching on YouTube. In this case, I wanted to get into a discussion on mythology building for a fictional setting, using the gods as Brahma as a baseline. Before we get too far into the discussion, let me just introduce my lovely co-host, Maureen Foley. Hello. She is the voice of Hrau, along with a few other characters throughout the New Century multiverse. Sarah Arlington. Uh, Sarah Arlington, uh, she was playing the voice of Merlane for a while. And as a result, above and beyond our personal relationship, which is very lovely, but I shall spare you the details, uh, no PDA (laughs) on this podcast, we discuss a lot of things because we have two big brains and we like using them. And because of both of our connections to New Century, Topics of New Century often come up in just conversations driving home or in spending time with each other as uh, couples do. In this particular case, something that had come up in conversation, not per New Century specifically, but on the School of Movies Discord at one point, was the idea of people often like to use pantheons and stories from other cultures and extrapolate that into the modern world or include them in various kinds of fictitious storytelling, people doing their own creative works, either in those ancient settings or in modern settings. Most of the time, authors tend to use the pantheons of the long-dead ancient civilizations of Europe, Greco-Roman, Norse, Egyptian, or even pantheons that are more obscure, like Celtic, Sumerian, and Babylonian, or the far-reaching trickster god Anansi, who moved from Ghana and Africa to Jamaica and the Caribbean thanks to the slave trade. But something that came into greater vogue when I was reading in the 90s was the use of the many different mythologies of the various first nations of North America. I know that I've been interested in stories that delve into that sort of thing myself. I've used characters like Coyote and the Thunderbird in my own creative works, but I feel somewhat conflicted about doing so. As I've gotten a better understanding of the way we've treated these people and the way that it feels disrespectful to usurp existing mythologies from peoples that have been displaced and killed and treated badly by our historical ancestors and honestly are treated bad by our own governments up till this day i'm not going to get into the weeds on a discussion of cultural appropriation just take it as given for myself that i consider it to be a major problem And given how bad recent history has been in regards to finding mass graves of Native children, as well as the American and Canadian governments, using unconscionable tactics against extant Native Americans to this very day to try and get their oil pipelines set up, I no longer feel comfortable using any First Nations mythology in any of my own creative works going forwards. In the case of New Century... What's going on here isn't talking about those pantheons and fables and everything like that. Alex went on to make his own when he invented the world of Rama, the place where great cats were the dominant species instead of humans. And I've talked about a number of the gods... Uh, over the course of our deep dive retrospective into the first book, Tiger's Eye. But looking closer at it, I was, you know, going to be like, okay, so we've got gods that are specifically oriented towards the four elements, light and shadow, sun and moon. And as it stands, the book itself doesn't go a lot into... The various aspects of those gods, except where absolutely necessary. There is a certain amount of world building done, but the story itself tends to be far more character focused rather than world focused. I wanted to get Maureen's insight or her own thoughts on the matter as to if one were building such a new pantheon, what elements would one include? What kinds of, I guess the word in this case would be portfolio to a certain extent, but what range of responsibilities would the seven gods of Durga actually have in comparison to the kinds of gods that normally exist for these kinds of peoples? I felt like there were kinds of gods that didn't appear to show up, among the seven gods listed. And so I wanted to get some feedback from someone that thinks big thoughts about these kinds of things and also may have some personal insight or thoughts into it because she has put so much into the character of Rao who lives and breathes as a part of that world. So from here, to just go over a few of the things that the story itself tells us, and I'm drawing mostly on the story of Tiger's Eye, but also from a few things that were told in parts of Steamheart, and uh, as well as the most recent Rama story, Panther Soul. By and large, there's no spoilers involved here. And of course, because of Maureen's privileged position, she may have behind-the-scenes information in terms of stuff that Alex may have told her, but obviously, if there's anything that is plot-relevant, I would ask that Maureen not spoil it for me or for any of us and try to keep ideas to the theoretical or to her own opinion on the matter. Uh, As it stands, the gods that are mentioned over the course of the story Are referred to as the seven. They include Air Cheetah, Earth Jaguar, Fire Lion, the Leopard of Water, Dark Panther, the Tiger of Light, and a seventh called the Father of Passing. I know only because Alex has gone on to, has gone on the record to say this himself, that the Father of Passing is technically not a part of what they refer to as the Seven, that he is an older deity that is done honor to by Durga tribe and possibly by other tribes of the New World as well, but that the Seventh Deity is actually at this point unnamed, which is part of the reason why I brought up potential spoilers that I didn't want to go into. We will ponder on the possibility of what this mystery deity may be and the nature of why it is a mystery, Um, But we'll deal with that in time. There, of course, is also the consideration of Rama herself, as in the world, being considered as akin to something divine, much like, say, Mother Earth, Gaia, or other depictions of the world as being significant, having a personality and a will, without specifically having what one might say, a human avatar to go with it. Those are the things that we're working with right there. And other than that, there's really only a limited amount of information to work with. Uh, One of the first questions I put to Maureen is given the fact that four of the gods are symbolized by the four elements, I'm curious about... Exploring uh, what among those four elements would be significant to the Durga tribe. What form does air, earth, fire, and water? What what do the, what would those encompass to a tribal civilization that is pre, say, the building of uh, cities and uh, even agriculture and the like in the world of Rama?
1: Sorry, I had myself on mute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is because we're knocking things around and we're worried about (laughs) it.
1: Yeah. I don't want to interrupt him. Um, so there's a lot of history of the four elements tying into mythology and also with the four humors, Mm. which is what initially came to mind when this came up because I thought about it and I was like, okay, so there's a lot of elemental magic that I've read about in both mythology and philosophy, and also in some other fantasy works of fiction. Specifically, Mercedes Lackey has a whole series about uh, elemental magic Mm -hmm. that I was also thinking about, although it's not as clean cut of a parallel, there's a series called The Incarnations of Immortality by Piers Anthony. Mm. But I was thinking about the the four elements uh, in relation to the four humors as well, they seem to be very primal. So Mm -hmm. they seem to crop up in a lot of mythologies, a lot of cultures, because they are what the people see when you're Mm -hmm. foundational world-building or foundational, not world-building in the sense of uh, literary world. But when you are starting out as a culture, You look around you and try to make sense of the world that you're seeing Mm -hmm. so people see the sun they see the earth they see the water they're breathing the air and they see the sky Mm -hmm. so they are and fire obviously is the thing so they're taking these very primal elements into what they are trying to formulate as their skeletal structure for a larger broader picture with a lot of philosophy and a lot of religion, it's a foundational thing. So when you are dealing with anything nature, which most older religions and philosophies and cultures and mythologies, whatever you want to call it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're definitely more in tune with nature, less so nowadays because of technology and progress. Wow. Mm-hmm. First Nations or you know
0: uh, other yeah. Aboriginal groups.
1: Correct. Uh, even Celts and some of those, like Norse and the older ones, Egyptian, mm-hmm. um, would have had more of the, I don't want to say primitive, more primal. I'm gesturing, <laughs> which is not helping <laughs> in audio medium. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la. Straightforward, like tangible, tangible things mm-hmm. to focus on.
0: Obviously, like to a certain extent of the things that you mentioned, it's hard not to also think of The Last Airbender, a piece of media that I know that we're both very fond of, but (laughs) (laughs) but directly comparing it to that, obviously, we should draw upon whatever influences we can Hmm. that bear any significance to a conversation that we would have about the four elements One of the things that I I went back and relearned as I was doing my own preparation for this Mm. is that the four nations in The Last Airbender weren't just about, okay, these nations had access to this specific kind of bending magic, and that was significant to what they valued as a society. Mm-hmm. but that the individual nations were also meant to be representing specific
2: mm-hmm.
0: groups in the real world in terms of the uh, the Earth Kingdom bossing say was meant to be China mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> the Fire Nation was supposed to be imperial Japan the Air Nation were basically Tibetan Mm-hmm. And the the North and South water tribes were meant to be, I forget exactly, but like more the uh, aboriginal versions of Asian culture and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we obviously, while I know that there's a piece of music that sounds somewhat asian in origin i forget it's I believe it's like agent of shanghai or something like that Mm
2: -hmm. there isn't
0: necessarily an asian component to durga Tribe, which is far more quasi-african quasi first nations uh and stuff like that it's it's a little bit of a, a a mixture of things uh and so therefore it doesn't necessarily mesh as well like you can't say that because the Air Nation were all tended to be monks and were big valuers of knowledge and everything like that, you can't necessarily extrapolate that, therefore, Air Cheetah should be also a god of knowledge. Right. Uh, We don't honestly know if any of the gods listed are specifically considered gods of knowledge like we would consider, say, Toth, in the Egyptian pantheon or Ogma in the Celtic pantheon and so on and so forth. It might right. well be that if one sought knowledge, then it might be depending on which knowledge it is, might be the domain of any one of the individual deities as established by the fables that were written down in tiger's eye, the Closest thing that I could find in terms of what they were directly responsible for is Air Cheetah just literally seemed to be a deity of wind, although Mm -hmm. there is at one point where Hrau specifically is apologizing to Air Cheetah for not keeping up with her prayers and was asking for their blessing for a moment of puissance and speed. So Uh that may be just a separate aspect of the wind, or that might be considered a tangible part of what someone would pray to air cheetah for. It's a little bit up in the air at this point. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I didn't even need to make that that joke. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I think um, air is where... <laughs> mm. with prayer air prayer where <laughs> um, oh my god we're gonna get punchy. prayer is typically seen as traveling on wind currents or within the base of you know clouds or between that here and quote quote heaven so theoretically air cheetah would be responsible for carrying prayers yeah. or the messenger of prayers like okay. mercury if you if you would
2: yeah or, well, that, you know Hermes.
1: and also you know obviously if, if you're looking to be speedy like the wind mm. you would want to embody some sort of elemental
0: force of nature
1: aspect is the word i was trying to find mm and, you know, request to have that transmuted to yourself in a way.
0: So you're suggesting the possibility that if an individual feline had desired to embody some aspect of any four of the elements, they might pray to one of them to help them find such an aspect, such as I don't know, fire line of to, to be more passionate or earth jaguar to be more steady or something like that.
1: Strength more resolute. potentially, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, the water to be more cool headed or fluid,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and I don't know how that would necessarily translate into what their needs are within, you know, the day-to-day life. I mean, obviously speed seems pretty self-explanatory in the mm-hmm. situation that they were in. Mm-hmm. but, you know, it may not be as tantamount to pray. It may be like a, if you will excuse the expression, like a Hail Mary to pray for something like that. It may not be like an everyday thing. Like, I really just need a little bit of extra oomph, so I'm going to mm-hmm. pray for the fire thing. But, you know, if, if it's like a life or death or other such situation, reaching out and requesting that assistance might be... Mm-hmm what is necessary Uh,
0: among the other four earth jaguar uh, would appear to be just straight up uh, a god of nature and growth and plants Mm -hmm. um leopard of water obviously could be any form of water whether we're talking about rain or rivers or the waterfall that comes up in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, We also know from the foundation myth that leopard of water brings the snows that Mm. the tribal cats eventually come out of their foundation myth is one of it's, it's a familiar one in terms of destroying the old world to bring Mm -hmm. about the new, which most people would be familiar with from things like the myth of Noah and the great flood. There's a great number of other flood myths throughout human history. Also, I remember specifically among uh, Pueblo Indians, they refer to the, the, the different earths, how uh, the peoples of the earth became sinful and craven, and the gods of the world picked those that were of good heart and destroyed all the others via various means, via natural disasters or wild predators and such like. That's a little bit like what the foundation myth of Durga is. Uh, And during that tale, there's also reference to Air Cheetah bringing about winds of a great hurricane to scour the earth, Mm -hmm. which made me think it's possible Air Cheetah, you know, they could be the... Benign aspects of the wind, but could also be the the fearsome aspects. The way there are, say, gods of storms, like in the case of Zeus, or I'm forgetting the name of the um, the storm deity of the uh, Mesopotamian Ball, I think one of the uh, one of the balls was a storm god there, or alternately uh, Wakinyan Tonkan. The Thunderbird of Lakota mythology, which there are some that consider like destructive storm deities to be fearful and dark and evil, but the Thunderbird in particular was viewed, as I mentioned earlier, to be a force of nature and and therefore to be respected in that, but not specifically to be feared. It's just the Thunderbird's nature to bring about these great storms which could potentially cause destruction or loss of life. And I I don't know yet if a destructive force that would potentially hurt, like, the chosen peoples, the cats, actually exists in any of their storytelling. It doesn't pop up. But one thing that kind of is significant, particularly in how we brought up The Last Airbender a moment ago, is that... We have Fire Lion, who is considered the sun god uh, Mm. bringer of life and is the head of the pantheon, as sun gods often are in other pantheons. But we never really hear all that much about the potential destructive aspect of fire or the sun or anything like that. When referenced in Steamheart, Miguel even goes on to say that He thinks of him as being more like Cat Jesus, in which case we're actually starting to go in the direction of Aslan, which is a completely different kind of story. But, you know, that was the outsider's perspective. And based on the few other depictions of Fire Lion in the story, there doesn't seem to be anything to run counter to that. He seems to be a a benevolent, benign presence And there is nothing at all of the fact that fire as it is, is sort of a, it has two sides to it, two edges, that it can be a bringer of life, but can also be a taker of life. And I was curious, you had any thoughts about that, particularly since Fireline is depicted to be the head of the Pantheon. And yet at one point, Miguel goes on to say that the tigers of Durga tribe, at the very least, probably very likely the other cats as well, are naturally nocturnal. And so, therefore, Dark Panther would seem to be the more governing force, the, the one that would show the way in terms of what the great cats would find important. But Dark Panther is actually mentioned very little in the story.
1: Well, you know, obviously we don't get into this too much, but... There's obviously more tribes and more species. Mm -hmm. So how much of the pantheon is overlap? How much of it do other nations, do other tribes have the same pantheon, different Mm -hmm. pantheon? So, and I think that with the fact of the Fire Lion, Fire Deity, Sun Gods, always sort of being in charge of the pantheon or head of the pantheon the sun or the light typically Mm. is the thing that gives life to Mm. plants
2: which Mm. then feeds
1: the animals which then feeds the cats because it's the circle of life i was waiting to make that joke sorry (laughs) not sorry it was in my head like the whole time It is the thing that brings things to life. Mm. And so as much as they are nocturnal, they cannot deny that without the sun, without the light, without the warmth, the fire, the whatever you want to call it, life would not exist. Plants would not grow. Without plants, there would not be the animals that they feed on. So there is that. And I think... With regards to the dual nature of fire and also just the dual nature of any of the elements. Fire in particular, let me tell you what, I live in Colorado currently, (laughs) and we have fire a lot. Our Mm -hmm. state's on fire a lot. That's a thing we're known for. We are on fire. So the problem is that some fire is Normal, Mm -hmm. natural, lightning strikes. Well, that's pretty much like the most Mm -hmm. usual way that like natural fire would happen. Yeah, exactly. That happens and clears out the underbrush and gets rid of the deadwood and gets rid of the issues and creates like a rich soil and life comes out of that. Mm -hmm. The issue with the wildfires typically is that they're not natural. They're man made because somebody had a gender reveal party or was shooting (laughs) off fireworks or lit a cigarette and just decided to be a jerk about it. So, yes, fire can be very dangerous, but when it is used incorrectly or unnaturally. So, if Mm. you're using it in the case of within the natural order, it is a part of the circle of life and it can be very healthy for the environment and can in a lot of ways clear out some of the chaff and the dead underbrush and whatnot i would imagine they probably don't have a lot of fires out there because there mm. aren't i would imagine durga gender reveal parties no Lord and not. <laughs> use of pyrotechnics
0: they do have uh you know they they have their
1: campfires their
0: campfires but they also have their their civilizations literally in the trees itself so i would imagine they want to be very careful about that to begin with they're also in the jungle which i feel I, i did a little bit of research on this jungles because of the high moisture content are usually hard to set on fire and the only reason why fires have become a thing <laughs> in the Amazon and the Congo and such like—can I guess? It's, yeah, it's civilization.
1: Ah, man ruins everything. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. There is some element of climate change, which is also, also the reason why of man. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that's the reason why we're having these out of. Well, part of the reason why we're having out-of-control fires in Colorado and in California Um, due to droughts and Mm -hmm. heat making everything a whole lot drier. Mm -hmm. The jungle that Durga tribe and the other tribes exist in has been relatively untouched by colonizing forces. uh, but it
1: doesn't have climate change.
0: More significantly, the new world of Rama is untouched by industry of any kind, and not only is that the source of climate change itself, but there are more than a few parts of the industrial age that bring the danger of fire as either a byproduct of industry or a result of deliberate actions by industrial goals. Fire is often used as a part of deforestation to make land usable for other reasons, And while we do not yet know the level of technology that the cats of Albion and other empires have in Rama, since there is meant to be a parallel to our own history, it seems very likely that industry could pose just as much a danger to Rama's new world as it has to our Earth. The idea of fires Uh being super destructive probably isn't that big of a deal yet at this point. And honestly, everything else that you said about... The fact that plants literally could not live without light from the sun photosynthesis and everything like that it's definitely a good point regardless Mm -hmm. of the fact that whether or not the cats hunt at night a lot of other species the species that the cats would hunt and therefore derive their own nourishment and life from are diurnal for the most part so yeah Mm -hmm. It's pretty straightforward. And I guess from that standpoint, the idea that Dark Panther might be the god of night, but also be like a source of where some of the values or rules that a tribe follows, that they're a source of societal order or anything like that, the place where all life comes from could still naturally override that to a certain degree because it does feel like durga at least it's harder to say with other cultures but it would not impossible to think that there would be some similarities there are supposed to have a great respect for the natural world and so therefore the the thing that all life comes from would seem to naturally have a higher station than others would be so
1: well, I was gonna say, you know, and again, we're we're basing a lot of our assumptions here on it on the natural world and Rama working the same as ours in some of the same scientific ways with the photosynthesis of it all. The Dark Panther and the Fire Lion are basically two sides of the same coin in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not that it's the same there, but mm-hmm. if you look at it from our perspective sun and moon moon reflects sun Mm -hmm. so it is not unheard of to take them kind of in the same line but yeah i would say that the fire lion especially if other cultures also have adopted a fire lion as their main deity and it sort of trickled through the continent then that could be another aspect
2: yeah
0: Continuing to follow on with the subject of Fireline for a moment here. Mm-hmm. Um, in Steamheart, when they're having their first powwow, Miguel and Rao are talking with Jeremy and basically giving the entire dish on what the cats of Rama are like. And the topic specifically of gods comes up. At one point, uh, Miguel suggests that Fire Lion could contain aspects of, and I'm probably going to get the pronunciation of this wrong, Huitzilopochtli.
2: Huitzilopochtli.
0: uh, As in sun and war god of the Aztecs. Miguel goes on to comment that Fire Lion does not appear to be their war god. He's more about just making sure the sun rises each day and brings warmth and life. Again, dovetailing with what we were just talking about in terms of what respect Fireline is considered as a part of Durga. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And one of the things I was wondering about, especially considering the small sizes of the various tribes that we see and everything like that, there is definitely conflict. It's actually a part of the very first chapter where Mm Rao ends up killing a cheetah hunter. I believe it was that, you know, Mm -hmm. becomes relevant later on, but I wondered if Durga would even have a concept of, like, a war god at all, whether war would even be considered something that small tribes would imagine. There is clearly the idea of territory and competing for it, but is it merely that this might be something that Dark Panther would be in charge of, or is this... A concept that would not even, they they wouldn't even consider at this level of development.
1: I don't think that war, in the way that we imagine it, in the way that Miguel's imagining it, I don't Mm. think that that is a concept that they would consider.
2: Mm. I
1: think that, again, war goes against the natural order of things. Mm. A war is for. War is fought by old men throwing young people at what they want. Mm. And what they typically want is power, money, land, or resources. Durga mm-hmm. tribe and the other nations of the Western continent, they don't have a need for that. They don't need to fight over resources or dominion. Territory is one thing, but they're not going to conquer half of the continent. They don't have to. They don't want to. From what we've seen in the Western cats, doing so would be the antithesis of the natural order. Mm. Trying to grasp at more than what you need as a people is antithesis of what makes sense than what is logical. And they don't seem to have the kind of resources as far as like, You know, the leaders saying, okay, you all go fight this war for king and country or whatever. Like, the tribes aren't big enough to do that. Mm -hmm. Until we kind of get to when the lions are there. And then there's that whole, the lions seem to bring colonialism. Mm -hmm. They bring sort of an aspect of what could be seen as a reason for a war Mm
2: -hmm. in
1: a sense of defending against a
0: outside aggressor
1: right and they are coming in and trying to take resources as in peoples
0: yeah i mean Um, it is entirely possible that they would take the natural resources as well right and you definitely said a moment ago one of the things that durga mentions as being worrisome is like they don't want to overhunt the various Mm -hmm. kinds of animals that are there, again, keeping in balance with the natural order of things. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But yes, exactly. The lions are coming here because they specifically want slaves, but they could decide they want other things as well. They definitely seem like they want territory in that they've taken a specific part of the continent that the Aboriginal tribes are on to create a port by which they can control and sell their slave ships out of, as well as later on the story suggests that they're making deals with some tribes in order to enslave other tribes. So, Yeah.
1: I keep thinking of that line from the Pocahontas movie from Disney. These white people are dangerous. <laughs> These white men are dangerous. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Mm-hmm. These lions are dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as being representative of colonial forces. Yeah, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Given mm-hmm. that the approach of the lions is basically heralding the idea that the various tribes need to change in terms of banding together create a fighting force that will work together to drive Albion and to be perfectly honest, other colonizing forces from this land um, because as we find out in Panther Soul, they are not the only ones. Uh, But my question was basically if there needed to be a God among the established gods that would be in charge of protection of the land do you think it would be Dark Panther that would be in charge of that, or do you think maybe considering the overwhelming nature of colonizers that the Pantheon might be actually united in such a force that all of them care about driving out an imbalancing force? Just hmm. curious if you think there there would be one of the gods that would be thought of as a war god in this particular changing circumstance.
1: I don't know that they would want there to be a war god. I don't think that they would want the... Because, again, if you think about war as being outside the natural order mm. and the pantheon as being part of the natural order, I think that it would be antithesis to assign a deity to it. Mm. I think it would be a necessary evil that they have to do, but I don't think that they would necessarily want to continue with that.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, that's that's certainly true, although part of the conversation that kind of takes place at the in the latter half of Tiger's Eye at the very least is the idea that their world has forever changed yeah, and that they need to accept that rather than as being something that they can just turn the tide back on or something like that. That's part of the conversation that was specifically going on with Hawkeye and everything like that. And he didn't want to admit the idea that there was change, that the, he they couldn't reverse or come out of control. But in the meantime, the um, I think it was the Panther chieftain, Shala, that was sort of like, no, we, we have to accept this now, and we have to change with it. But, yeah, it's... It, I mean, it could go either way, honestly.
1: No, I think... I mean, if they were going to... I mean, obviously, it's... It's icky to think about, because you don't want to have to think about, like... Mm. Who's going to take this on? But I do think Dark Panther would be the more logical choice, because Mm. if Fire Lion brings life...
0: Then Dark Panther brings death. Yeah. Mm.
1: And that is... I mean it's not a dark panther is not the father of passing but and they also hunt at night. Mm-hmm. And so war is as like a more brutal form of hunting.
2: Mm.
1: I don't think they would want to pervert and I don't like to use that word, but I don't think they would want to tarnish the life-giving nature of the fire lion mm. deity by assigning him this as well.
0: Yeah. Well, then let's move on to discuss Dark Panther then, because that was actually next on my list.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The topic that I'd specifically focused on was the potential duality of Dark Panther and the Tiger of Light. But focusing from on on Dark Panther in general, of the few things that are said about him, that he is apparently has dominion over the darkness, that he is a bringer of purpose and there may or may not be some crossover between, as you said a moment ago, Dark Panther and the Father of Passing, but mm. there have always been gods that are sometimes different aspects of death, whether it's the act of bringing about death to another, whether, you're like as in you were saying a moment ago, hunting, or having to kill another in self-defense, or the idea of death as process, And in the case of Father of Passing, it seems to encompass a more benign aspect to that, in that there is, first of all, as Alex mentioned at one point, he is an older deity that is separate from the seven that Durga considers part of its culture. He is in some form of a psychopomp, carrying the soul or the spirit of not just dead cats, but all kinds of dead animals to as the prayer goes whatever form they take on next implying a cycle of reincarnation rebirth and everything like that death deities take many different forms depending on the culture in addition to psychopomps and resurrection deities there are gods that have dominion over the underworld gods that preside over the rites of death and guard places of burial gods that cause death by sickness or poison gods that keep the worlds of the living and the dead separate, and even gods of killing, by which I mean murder. This would be something distinct from death through war, and a modern example of this is the Loa Baron Criminel of Haitian Voodoo, said to be the first murderer. Lacking any other context, and keeping in mind what Maureen has said about the Western cats believing in the natural order, I suspect that, if anything, Dark Panther might be considered as most akin to the act of death, not unlike the Grim Reaper. If the Father of Passing is the psychopomp that carries their souls on, then Dark Panther might be the one that snips the cord connecting soul to body, the harbinger that looms nearby when death is at hand. That, of course, is only a guess bearing in mind that there is one unnamed god among the seven. By the same token, Dark Panther is also specifically positioned against the Tiger of Light. The way that's described in Steamheart, there is at one point a suggestion that Dark Panther and the Tiger of Light are like yin and yang, Which obviously is a very Earth concept, particularly in terms of dark and light balancing each other and having specific meanings in Asian mythology, culture, and everything like that. But one of the things that I wondered about, since Hrow had this concept explained to her, and she seemed to be like, yeah, no, that actually feels like it makes some kind of sense. Perhaps we have more in common than I realized. It made me wonder about what the opposing, contrasting and sympathetic aspects of Dark Panther and Tiger of Light could be. For example. A goddess of the moon in Greek culture is Artemis, who also happens to be a huntress. So, does that mean, do you think it's possible that a tiger of light might actually be the deity of hunting?
1: Well, that's a lot of information. um, No, 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 that's okay. Because there was, I have a lot of thoughts. So, Uh I want to start, if you will Mm allow, with a quote, because I've been thinking about this a lot.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him
2: mm.
1: i think that the dark panther and the tiger of light are the moon dark and light mm-hmm. new moon and full moon same but opposite sides if you will the dark side of the moon run! Rabbit, run! but father of passing i think is more along the lines of death personified Mm -hmm. with the little the little little who is a majigger oh scythe (laughs) thank you like his little blade thing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: um reaping
0: souls like wheat
1: yes thank you I was doing, like, a little weird hand gesture thing. Again, audio medium. Not great. (laughs) I am good at the podcasting. Woo! It also made me think of, because, as you know, the audience doesn't know, but as you know, I do have a lot of experience in Greek and Roman mythology, Mm -hmm. Charon, and Hades.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Hades is a god of the underworld. Charon ferries the dead to him. Mm-hmm. Father of passing over the,
2: mm-hmm. the mm-hmm.
1: river sticks. I mean, we could kind of continue it and say, like, maybe Persephone is the light because she goes up for half the year, but that
2: mm-hmm. then,
1: we're pull, then we're grasping at straws. But I also think that there is something to be said for the duality of the light and the dark within our own natures. The light and the dark, as far as do people see, like, the Underworld, not the Underworld, the Afterlife. Because we, you know, a lot of cultures have their version of the Afterlife. Whether it's H-E-L, whether it's A.G.W.O., mm-hmm. Valhalla.
0: What Maureen is suggesting here is if Dark Panther and the Tiger of Light are both a duo and opposites, then the two of them might well have shared duties. Everyone knows, of course, of the idea of a different kind of Afterlife, depending on what kind of person you are in life. And Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on this idea. She just brought up Hell and Valhalla, two different Norse underworlds, wherein one gets the honorable dead and Hell gets the leftovers. Of course, in those cases, neither Hella nor Lucifer are respected in the Pantheon, and we don't get that impression about either Dark Panther or the Tiger of Light. If they are meant to be balancing forces the two gods could simply be in charge of multiple pieces of tribal culture and the natural order, just different aspects of them. Following on from some of your earlier comments,
2: Mm.
0: one of the things that I was trying to figure out is that, obviously, God of Death, we naturally associate that with also being God of the Underworld, because that's the way it often is depicted. Mm -hmm. But if there is a cycle of rebirth... Hmm. Do, do, does belief in reincarnation or something similar to it, does that often go hand in hand with an underworld or an afterlife or anything like that? Or is the very idea of a, a creature becoming transforming into something else in the circle of life does that belie the idea of an intermediary place? before souls come back and i i i was trying to do some research on this and i'm not i'm not sure i have an answer for that it's just that reincarnation tends to be associated with a lot of asian traditions specifically mm-hmm. asian traditions also have the have the idea of heaven as well as well as spirits and everything like that i don't know mm-hmm. as much about south asian and east asian traditions as some do But one of the interesting things I ended up finding was that there is an Orphic mystery uh, tradition, Orphic as in Orpheus, that specifically believes in the idea of not just an individual persisting after death, but transforming into something else later on. And since you already brought up Hades a moment ago, which we know is the Greek underworld, then it is entirely possible that a system of reincarnation doesn't necessarily belie on underworld for souls to go to. This is just a resting place, and then something out there picks, or ultimately the, the spirit itself picks its next form and is brought back into the world of the living.
1: Dude, Haney's house was broken into so often. <laughs> it was like Grand Central Station. Like, yeah. that... It's not necessarily reincarnation. He just had really lousy locks. So, like, (laughs) people were just coming in there like, what up? So, I mean. (laughs) Don't disrespect
0: Cerberus like like that. Well, okay, Cerberus did his best.
1: He tried. But sometimes (laughs) the belly rubs just left him, like, you know. Yeah, Are you kidding? I would just pet the crap out of that dog. (gasps) Come here, three heads. All the better to give kisses. (laughs) (laughs) And then I get my face chewed off, but it's fine. Um,
0: (laughs) I mean, only if you're a dead, only if you're a deceased spirit, if you're a person, there have been at least a couple of depictions where Cerberus is like, look, I'm supposed to prevent the dead from leaving. You're alive. Um, You got treats?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We good. (laughs) Man, what a good dog. (laughs) You know, I'd go down there and just befriend the dog. Yeah. That's all. I'm, the only reason I'm here, Hades, I don't care about you. I'm just here for service. For birth. <laughs> Do you need a dog sitter? I'm available. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, I think some of the reincarnation is you either go up or down depending on how you did it in life. So you're mm-hmm. reincarnated above your station or below your station. And you have to basically... <laughs> Keep getting better until you ascend to your final plane, which is sometimes nirvana. And I don't think that necessarily means that you go to a final underworld. I think you just become one with everything.
0: Mm. It's very Buddhism, one with everything.
1: What did the Buddha say to the hot dog vendor?
0: (laughs) One with everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a good enough stopping point for now. We're not done discussing Dark Panther and the Tiger of Light, though, so tune in next time for more mythology talk on Century Tales. To close us out, once more I'm doing something a little bit different with musical choices. Back when Maureen and I were first getting to know each other, we sent playlists of music and other favorite videos from YouTube. This particular one is appropriate for the season, but you can also read between the lines a bit with the lyrics, in terms of us figuring out what we could be to each other, and communicating that through music. Until next time, this is Sarah Bariles and Ingrid Michelson with Winter Song.
2: This is my winter song to you. The storm is coming soon it roses. Be light and send it out tonight so we can start